You're listening to Idaho Matters from the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, and I'm Gemma Goddard. One woman is challenging the way our society for decades has viewed anorexia and anoretics. Dawn Brockett is a college professor. She struggled with the disease for years, and now she's written a new book. It's called Unrestricted, How I Stepped Off the Tightrope, Learned to Say No, and Silenced Anorexia. And Dawn is joining us today to talk more about this. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Gemma. It's a pleasure to be here. So Dawn, can we start the conversation by you briefly telling us about yourself and and your struggle with anorexia? Of course. My struggle with anorexia started in an overt form at the age of 15, uh, and it continued on for five or six years in in its severe form before I started to Mm -hmm. first get the the physical side of it um, into a better state and then over decades, the psychological side as well. So, you know, for decades, it has been widely believed, and this is believed by medical professionals, by mental health uh, experts, that anorexia is, is all about control, right? That the, the people who suffer from this, this disease, they, they want to control what they are eating or not eating. And a lot of times, um, the, the, the train of thinking about this is that, you know, there's maybe so much that they cannot control within their lives, they can at least control uh, what they are putting in their body or not putting in their body. Um, but Don, you push back on this theory and you, you write about it in your book. So can we start by me just asking you why you push back on this theory? Thank you for that question, Gemma. This is really the core point of my book. Uh, There are a number of other goals, so to speak, that I have with it, but challenging this idea that anorexia is about the anorectic's desire to control. Uh, It's it's false. It's frankly a little bit insulting. Um, I think it is um, particularly aimed at young women during a time when they are meant to individuate into adults in their lives as anorexia affects young women at a rate of 10 to 1. Uh, versus young men or other genders. And it, the onset is typically age 15 to 20. So I find it um, a bit incongruous uh, that at a point in time when a young woman is meant to become all that she is, is um, you know, hopes to be, um, it is at that point that, that the control claim really, really stakes its claim. It is the party line as one prominent psychiatrist mentioned to me, and, and I argue that the party line is incorrect. I argue that anorexia is a response to being controlled by internal mm-hmm. thoughts, which feels a little bit like a voice in your head. It's the, you know, the rudest human you can imagine, and outside forces. And those can show up as family, religion, uh, society, a number of things. You know, it's interesting to me because I, I, I think that you know, so many women have suffered and do suffer from some type of eating disorder or body dysmorphia, in particular in the United States. Um, And yet what we have been told our whole lives is this idea of, well, you just want to control. And and what struck me with what you just said is that it really, maybe we need to look at the fact that we are being controlled. And, and, And as women, there are so many parts of our lives where we have been told, you know, how to behave, how to act. And if we act a certain way, then, then this will happen or this or, you know, something bad will happen to you or, 
or something bad won't happen to you, right? It's it's all of these expectations that are placed on, you know, young women in particular, but also, you know, physically, not just emotionally and mentally, making us as small as possible, right? Um, and so I'm curious with all that said, if if you also would think that that is part of it in, in this regard of maybe we need to flip that and, and it's not about women trying to control, but we have been controlled for so long and, you know, and, and even right now in the culture and climate that we live in, women are still being controlled. Absolutely, Gemma. And thank you for bringing that up. I feel that we have to flip it. And I, I'm just going to, I'm going to lean on a, a couple of incredible folks, a couple quotes, and then dive into some of what I say in the book as well around exactly what you've brought up. Um, Dr. Morelli Dori Swami, who's a, a professor of psychiatry and medicine at Duke University, is also the former co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on Mental Health. Um, as in support of my book on the back cover, he says, it is a powerful call to action for the field to modernize the perception and treatment of anorexia, mm. which I think is really important. I have said previously that I feel like the perception around anorexia right now feels a lot like the perception around hysteria, you know, back when that was mm-hmm. considered to be a real thing. Um, and, and the reason I come at it from this perspective, Jim, I was a um, philosophy major in my undergraduate. And I, you know, I came to understand that if the, if you're never getting to a logical conclusion that, you know, solves the problem, so to speak, at a certain point, you do have to go back and look at your axiom or your core set of beliefs from which you are taking all of your action in a certain direction. Anorexia was the first classified an eating disorder in the uh, DSM one, of course, at the time, it was just the DSM in 1952. Mm-hmm. And certainly from that moment on, and even the current eating disorder measures uh, that are supported by the FDA, though they are under scrutiny, um, support this idea of control as being the core issue. In the last 70 years, mortality rates have increased, which is terrifying for the single mental illness with the highest mortality rate of any others. Uh, by a factor of two to five, mortality rates have increased. No pharmaceutical treatments have ever had a positive study with with anorectic patients. And the only therapeutic opportunity that shows some benefit, which is family-based therapy, is not at all widely used. So I just, I think it's really time, given the fact that, you know, more in terms of mental illness, more people die of anorexia than anything else. Most of those are young women, and I do not think that that is a coincidence uh, in terms of why it hasn't been seen as being more important than it has been up to this point. Mm. And we've not made any marked progress. I do want to pause and say there are a lot of people doing incredible work in this area, and they are doing heartfelt, meaningful work in the right direction. This is not meant to be a call out um, in a negative way. It's an appreciation Mm -hmm. of the work that's being done and a recognition that we just have a lot more to do and it's probably time to test the axiom. So what was it for you? And I know it probably wasn't one thing and I don't want to simplify this at all, but, but what was it that allowed you to, to be able to heal yourself 
from anorexia? Yeah, I love that question. And I always, I always create the caveat that it's just not as mind blowing, I think, as someone would want, you know, when you're knocking on death's door, as I was, you want something really profound to Mm -hmm. be the difference maker. And you want it to be crystal clear. So you can take that, you know, that quote pill, right, and, and, and share it. For me, it had a lot to do with two things. One, people who really loved me, cared, and showed that in a way that I could hear at the time. And I'll talk a bit more about that here in a second. But also, literally having something to live for. So anorexia Mm -hmm. is not about control. It's a march to death. It is unfortunately very successful. Only about a third of young women actually recover in a meaningful way from anorexia. 10% die in 10 years, 20% die in 20 years. And Mm -hmm. the the rest who survive, it's, it's not the kind of survival that we're looking for in terms of thriving. Mm-hmm. For me, it was finding something to live for. It was joy. It was laughter. It was lightheartedness. It was levity. It was something beyond the dogged, relentless, impossible pursuit of perfection um, and the willingness to step away from perfection, which feels like failure, to pursue something more meaningful. I had to have something more meaningful. And, and I think that's so important for folks who are trying to support someone through an eating disorder. And of course, my experience is in anorexia, but share your concern. Don't offer blame. Don't offer criticism because I can assure you she's got plenty of that going on in her head already. And, and you know, just, just the title of your book, I'm thinking about this, you know, Unrestricted, How I Stepped Off the Tightrope, Learned to Say No, and Silenced Anorexia. Is that learning to say no part, you know, truly finding your voice? And I think this is something that, you know, male or female, um, when you are young, you are trying to find your voice, right? You're trying to find autonomy from your parents, all of these things. Um, but I go back to that, you know, that, that conversation point that we just had, which is that I think women are, are silenced in so many ways. And even today, we, we sometimes don't want to believe that. Um, but there is no equity and equality when it comes to, to men and women in our society. Um, and, and, and it was hard enough when I was growing up, right? Um, I, I sometimes stop and think about young girls today and what they're growing up in when it's blaringly obvious that, um, glaringly, rather glaringly obvious that there is not a lot of equity and equality. We're trained into silencing ourselves, right? And there's a section of my book, Gemma, where I speak exactly to what you've just spoken to, which is we, we are trained and it actually takes a fair amount of uh, insubordination to shift mm-hmm. that. I'll just read a quick quote from my book. Anorexia is about shrinking to accommodate the space that you have been allowed to take up in your life. The exact amount of space that you can hold without making anyone else uncomfortable. Healing from anorexia is an act of insubordination of self-defense. And it feels like that. I think what's interesting about having written this book and having it today launch out into the world, I'm I'm calling you from a little hotel right next door to Harvard, uh, where we're launching the book later this evening at the Harvard Coop, the official bookstore of Harvard. Um, it, It does feel so much like anorexia is this, this, 
I don't know, this distillation of oneself to the smallest possible form to make Mm -hmm. everyone else as comfortable as possible. And you realize that there is no end to that request for women to shrink, for their voices to be silenced. And there has to be a reason. And and I think everyone feels this, right? It is so relatable, which is where I was going initially. It's that feeling whether or not you've, you know, starved yourself to the brink is very relatable for a lot of women. And I think it is, it is the request that society makes without realizing it. And it, it does feel like a significant pushback and for the anorectic from your weakest place or for the young women just trying to individuate from a kind of scary, unstable place. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like it's required for full humanity for women. Well, and I think the quote from your book where you said, you know, when the, the amount of space women are allowed to take up, right? Um, and and I think that I think probably all women can can think back in their lives to points and times where they were told that they took up too much space, you were too loud, you were too big, you were too this, you were too that. Uh, I mean, story of my life, right? And mm-hmm. and you have to you have to get to this point where it's like you know what that 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 I am going to be bold, I am going to be loud, I am going to take up space, and and I don't care how uncomfortable it makes anyone because it makes people uncomfortable when you know women in particular do this and is that what you have found since you have not now just written this book but i mean you speak on this you are a consultant around eating disorders um do you do you find a pushback absolutely Absolutely. But I imagine you can relate to this, Gemma, from your own experience. It's so worth it. You know, mm-hmm. even even when it becomes a bit of a, a struggle or a battle, it's it's a battle worth fighting. What's been really delightful along this journey that I did not expect going into it, and it's been absolutely amazing, is the reception among you know the, the pinnacle folks in the world. I've had the pleasure of routine communication with the NIMH around this topic. Um, the former director of the National Institute of Mental Health in the years 2002 to 2015, um, his own daughter battled anorexia. He speaks about it in uh, his most recent book, Healing, and has a lot of strong opinions about you know, the, the lack of therapeutic benefit uh, mm-hmm. of what, you know, what is given, what is thrown at it. Um, but he's also come out in support of this book you know, along with some others that I've already mentioned. So I feel like I'm a stitch in a quilt and I'm under no mm-hmm. delusion, you know, that I'm any more than that. But I, I do feel this sense of a tide turning and it makes me very, very happy because there are 80 million women worldwide dealing with anorexia and far more than that, dealing with some version of the feeling that we've been discussing. And it's really high time to change that because there's there's no reason that it should be that way. There's no Mm-hmm. valid reason that it should be that way. And I do want to, you know, make it clear to our to our listeners that we also are very aware here that eating disorders do impact men and boys as well. Um, this conversation today, though, just happens to really focus more around women and girls. So just want to make that that clarification for folks that we are very aware that that this, you know, this is definitely a disease that can also impact, as we said, um, men and boys. 
With that said, before I let you go, I do want to discuss the do's and the don'ts from from your experience. Um, if you know someone, if you love someone who is who is struggling with an eating disorder, uh, you mentioned the don'ts. You know, don't shame them, don't guilt them. Um, what a what what should you do then, from your perspective? Yeah, and thank you, Gemma, for noting that this does affect you know other gendered persons. Um, it is something I approached in my book as to whether I focus on as to why, pardon me, I focus on women and use the feminine pronoun because it the rates are so much higher in women, and mm-hmm. women are always having to translate medical information to their own use and often without it actually being directly relatable. So it is purposeful, but it is certainly not meant to be in the least bit um, exclusive. In terms of what to do, I know it just seems really simple, but I think showing up and teaching through example, through providing permission in a way, how to hold a space that is not dark and is not um, restricted because, you know, it is not simply food, of course, that the anorectic restricts. It is everything that potentially brings joy. I think finding, finding ways to not focus on food is really important. Finding opportunities for liveliness in the young woman's life, it may be something, or the young man's life, something that they enjoyed before. Or if you see a spark of an interest in a direction and then, you know, likely they'll shut themselves down immediately, nurturing that spark, uh, particularly if it doesn't benefit anyone else. I think just, just finding the way to allow the girl's process of becoming her own entity outside of how that benefits anyone else in her world, because they tend to be exceptional. They tend to be well reflecting on those around them, but that can turn toxic. I think allowing her to do what brings her joy and helping her discover that and hold that space and let it be an okay way to spend time and energy. Again, it sounds small. It is absolutely what walked me back from the break. I want to thank you so much for taking time today to speak with us um, about this and have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been a real pleasure. We've been talking with author Dawn Brockett about her new book, Unrestricted, How I Stepped Off the Tightrope, Learned to Say No, and Silenced Anorexia. Her book is available now. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gemma Gaudet. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies.